Good morning, everyone. We welcome you to our Sunday morning roundtable discussion. We are recording, as usual, from the Plainfield Christian Science Church Independent, Plainfield, New Jersey, the United States of America. And we're so glad you all could join us today. We'll begin with our morning prayer. This morning's prayer is one Mrs. Eddie gave prayer for oneself. You can find it at Divinity Course in General Collectania, page 63. I thank thee, Father, Mother, God, that neither ignorant, fraudulent, nor malicious mortal mind can reach me or affect me mentally, physically, financially, or otherwise. And I know it, for God is the only power. That I am not the victim of aggressive mental suggestion, nor the target of malicious animal magnetism, claiming to operate through any channel whatever. But I am the blessed legal child of God, spiritual, immortal, all harmonious, perfect, happy, healthy, pure, sinless, free, and fearless, and diseaseless, and deathless, expressing the substance of all good. Hold yourself constantly and consciously under God's eternal law of blessing, of happiness, harmony, health, peace, joy, power, progress, protection, abundance. There is no other law, only a contrary mortal mind lie, which you are awake and alert to and not under. Okay, Baker Eddie. Thank you very much. All right, Linda, the watching point. Watch number 406. Watch that you realize that as you work for God, he cares for you. If you do his work, his reward is sure. No financial need should ever cause us to feel that we must leave God's work in order to work for man, since the right demonstration of doing God's work carries with it all the support needed. It is true that God loves us with an unchanging love, but it is helpful to feel that we must earn that love in order to have it expressed. Prayer should not be regarded as an effort to jog God's elbow so that he will remember us. It should be our effort to remember God, to know that he is caring for us in every way and to determine to live up to what he expects of us. It is our confident trust in him and our effort to serve him, plus the expectancy of all good that brings a continuous daily inflow of his love and care into our lives and meets all our needs." End quote. Thank you. <clears throat> Comments on that? Well, that is the perfect solution right there <laughs> to having all our needs met. It is our confident, oh, 
where he says, um, um, it is our confident trust in him, our effort to serve him, plus the expectancy of all good. That's it. That brings everything that we need into our experience. It's just that. And this story this week was definitely proof of when he prayed for his friends, that's when Job was re, re um, everything came back to him in more than he had previously. Um, Thank you. It goes along with Florence's prayer today too. <laughs> and what what and what do you what do you do when you don't exactly get what you think you want? <laughs> You're grateful for everything that you have and that God has given you and then you wait patiently on him or what it is he knows you need. Thank you. Because we don't always get what we want, do we? No, that's a good thing. Yeah. I, I got what I want over the years. I would probably be in some relationship somewhere else and in a weird job and <laughs> always, always struggling to make ends meet. So thank God for getting what we need instead. That's a great example. I think that's why it says we bring our desires to God and let him bring, you know, bring to us what he knows that we need. Yes, we've, it's a prayer, and I believe it's it might be in the blue book as well, but we were taught here, you, you can ask God, I would like such and such, but then thy will be done. Thy will be done. Then you leave it, you give it to God. And otherwise, you're outlining, planning, demanding of him. Um, yeah, we're, he's not some chain you pull. It's, a, it's a, the exact opposite. Um, and prayer isn't used for, on his behalf, my goodness. No, we only pray to bring ourselves into accord with him. And prayer is affirmation, praise. It's not pleading, but affirmation and praise as explained in Mrs. Eddy's chapter in Science and Health on Prayer. Anyone else? And also that the motive is right. Yes, thank yeah. you. Most important. Your motive is right. What is your motive? You always have to ask yourself, what's your motive to get what you think you want? E even health. Is it just so you can go back to your own, own way old ways it should be for higher demonstration yeah comfort in matter we're getting a lot of noise from your line Florence yeah sorry I'll mute because I have a errors region have a different phone sorry I know we've had a quite a week. Anyway, yes, thank you. But please unmute yourself when you want to speak. All right, um, we'll have Lillian read the, well, first our subject, God the preserver of man. And Lillian, the golden text. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in.
from this time forth and even forevermore. That wonderful Psalm 121, complete treatment, and this beautiful uh, verse. Who was it telling me? Was it Betty? Someone was telling me their mother used to say it to them every day when they would go out, go to school. or Anyway, that was beautiful. And so it should be. So it should be. It, it reminds me of Solomon before he asked for wisdom. He said he doesn't know how to go out or come in. Yeah. Yes, about a little child. <laughs> we have visitors today. Craigie, this is Ron and Lyndon. That's Craigie. Oh, Ron, come on. You know about North Carolina. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, We're the membership committee. So we... Yes. Okay. All right. So I'd also like to share with you, I've, I've shared it with you before, but we always are getting new people. It's um, watching point number 214, which I call the travel watching point. And we were given it years ago, and it's most important. It goes along with this when you travel to know that God is preserving your going out and coming in. But in this watch, Carpenter says, One who overindulges in travel for pleasure neglects his duty to God, to his leader, and to mankind. Of course, that's alertness to duty. And differ differentiates between phases of the Adam dream, which is not a sound basis from which to perceive its entire unreality. This is not a watching point to prohibit students from traveling, but it is a call for consistency and watchfulness. Mrs. Eddy was consistent when she pointed out her birthplace to Calvin Hill. She said, over there are the hills of Bow, where they say I was born, but I was not. I was born in mind. Again, when she sent a student a book of a beautiful poems for Christmas, she wrote, I send you a book of dreams. But they are so sweet, some of them, that I listen to them as we take in the fragrance of flowers that are dreams of matter. And then this. Once when a student was about to travel, Mrs. Eddy wrote, Remember that unless you travel mentally, that if you don't traverse new lands spiritually, if you don't cross metaphysical waters, that is, and reach shores hitherto unvisited in soul, you have wasted your time, money, and effort, and you will get nothing out of it. Don't do less science, but more. May God enfold you in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake, where no evil, no accident, no allurements, no blame lies claiming some world more dazzlingly, dazzlingly beautiful than the radiance of divine love. For straight is the gate and narrow the way thereto. I always think about that anytime I travel and I give it to people traveling because it's most important to remember this. People can get very consumed in traveling and make it a, even a way of life sometimes. So, uh, don't let it ever take you away from your duty to God, 
to your leader and to mankind. If you don't do that, you will find your travels will be quite a blessing. And if you know wherever you go and whatever you do is to express the Christ to others, to radiate the Christ and bless others, then you in turn will be blessed and it will be a, a great blessing all around. So, yeah. I just wanted to say, you know, thank you for that because for the first six years I was here, I had to go every other week to get my kids three hours away and you had given me that and worked with me each week and it was always harmonious so even though on one end i would have to deal with different thoughts you know you just keep working with the truth so thank you thank you yeah and that's another thing to ask yourself when you're traveling why are you traveling what is your motive beware if it's just to have fun don't don't let it just be have fun. Let it be deeper than that. It's got to be a blessing. Uh, and, and if you if you stay with this truth, if you can possibly keep doing the watches, keep keep up with the work that you have. As I said, you will find it a, a great blessing. Then if you just say, "I'm going out to lunch now for two weeks and have a high old time," <laughs> we've all done that, and it's usually been very disastrous. <laughs> Everybody. I thank you for that because we are traveling, so it's a real good reminder. Yes, you know. good. Thank you. You're welcome. All well, right. You made a point of stopping here. Well, first. you did. You did. <laughs> you did. That was a good for priorities. A good yeah. Yes, it was. Mm -hmm. I like uh, what Parthens uh, gave us many few years ago, reminding us that Jesus never traveled anywhere unless he was sent by God. And that should be our example. We shouldn't travel anywhere unless we feel like we are sent by God to do so. Otherwise, as Mrs. Eddy wrote, be a waste of time, money, and effort. And we've all had experiences like that, right? Where you've been, it's been, a, it's been, sometimes I've taken two or three weeks to recuperate after a trip. <laughs> Post-vacation vacation. Yeah. <laughs> And those were in the days I didn't know better. And also, I, I didn't really enjoy traveling. I used to get anxious, worried. And um, there's a lot to do when you travel as far as working on everything. You know, you're, you're traveling. You've got to be praying. You, planes, buses, whatever you're on. And it seems to be getting increasingly so as we have more and more things to uh, think about. So, yeah, make, make it a blessing. Make your trip Whoever you meet, wherever you go, be a blessing. Radiate God's love. Maybe you can share the truth with someone. If that's in your heart, you will find that you will. And it will. the trip will be a blessing. And you'll go home refreshed and ready to do the work even better. And that's the real motive. Because getting away can be refreshing. You know, we need a change at times. It's, it's a good thing. But as long as God is in the middle of it and you haven't, left him home all right in the responsive reading the first um, preserve me O God for in thee do I put my trust and that word preserve I didn't look it up this time I usually do and if, if you look it up in 1820 dictionary there is a long list of what preserve means it means a lot 
God is doing a lot for us. I always think of, you know, like preserves, like jam, you know, it, keep, it keeps it in perfect condition, right? Well, God is preserving us, caring for us, protecting us, all these things. It's wonderful. And in the forum, I guess I'll let, um, I'll let Gary read what Parthens wrote because he, he addresses it. And it's very important for this topic, the preserver of man, which God is. Yeah, this is uh, Parthen's offering here. In essence, God preserves man only to the extent man preserves the promises of God, keeping them living and fresh in consciousness, firmly in mind. Hence, Mrs. Eddy wrote, quote, Be firm in your understanding that the divine mind governs, end quote. That's Science and Health, page 393. One of the most convenient, available, and practical means of preserving God consciousness and firmness of understanding is discussed in Ralph W. Coffin's article, Our Hymnal, and that's the Sentinel, December 1922. And he offers an excerpt, quote, The small edition of the Christian Science Hymnal for Soldiers was a great blessing to the writer, and in many instances, the truth written therein saved the day against error. Upon embarking for foreign service, while the submarine warfare was supposed to be at its worst, the hymn which begins, In Heavenly Love Abiding, on page 168 of the hymnal, <laughs> drove out all fear. And many nights, the student of Christian science would go out on deck alone and sing this song over and over until peace, confidence, and perfect assurance of God's ever presence were gained. Another time, when the danger of crossing the English Channel was voiced, almost immediately the words, make channels for the streams of love, page 89, echoed through his consciousness. This song brought a vision of the only real channels, that they were eternally filled with love, and that no danger could possibly lurk therein. Many times the writer was confronted with problems of such seemingly large proportions that even a start to get at the trouble by mental means seemed well-nigh impossible. Then sometimes the hymnal was taken, and hymn after hymn was sung, until light began to dawn in consciousness, <laughs> leaving the student able to cope with the errors by the mental affirmation and denial which Christian science teaches, end quote. And then is Suzanne on? Yes. <coughs> Excuse me. Suzanne, do you want to? Yeah. I, um, hello. I, um, some of the most memorable testimonies involve singing hymns, um, sometimes at a piano into the night or just, singing hymns one after the other. And I remember Mrs. Evans saying that Mrs. Eddy's hymns have a special healing effect. And sometimes when you just don't know how to pray, at least what I do is I just sing through Mrs. Eddy's hymns one after another. And it's so uplifting and transformative. I just, I'm so grateful for our, our um, beautiful organ and our hymnal. We have an incredibly uplifting hymnal and it's, it's um, words 
um, the words of the hymns are so uplifting. And sometimes when I'm singing, I think, how could anybody live without singing hymns in church? <laughs> I really, I, I know it. That's so true. I was just thinking, we've got one of the most beautiful organs in all of New Jersey. And occasionally there's been talk about getting rid of our church. That's one of the first things I think, what would I do without my organ? Everybody's singing. Um, and, and you all sing with us wherever you are. But that music is so vibrant. Thank you, Suzanne. And we were taught here, in the morning, you do your lesson. If you're still struggling, take out your hymnal and just start to sing. Sing seven hymns in a row. <laughs> See if you can stay depressed. <laughs> it's pretty impossible. And even if you don't like to sing, sing anyway, or sing in your head, or play play the banjo or whatever, whatever you have available. But... God gave us music to lift the heart, and it does. I was going to say something. Please. That I think the hymns or the singing is kind of childlike, and it isn't intellectual at all. It's so it, 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 it helps in, that, in what Parthens wrote about preparing. Sometimes you can't even get to the place in your own consciousness to be able to absorb or read anything yes but you, you sing and it kind of just disables all of those little parts that are critical you know it does it requires a, a, a childlikeness i think yes yeah well, yeah because music is a very powerful influence very. it's a very it's a powerful force there are laws of music as there are laws of metaphysics that can't be broken mm -hmm. And when music is played well and harmoniously, mm -hmm. it's a reflection of God. It's a reflection of the truth. Mm -hmm. And that hymn is 148 in the current hymn. Well, thank you. In heavenly love abiding you. Yes. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, I know when I was going through a very hard time, that, that's what I did. I sang hymns. When I wasn't studying, I brought my hymnal around, or I wrote out the hymns in longhand. Then I would memorize them. I would sing them in the car. If I was in line at the grocery store, I'd take out what I'd written and, and memorize it. I'd just work with those hymns. And now I have a whole, as many of you do, you know you know these hymns by heart, and they come to you when you need them. I know Fairly, she, she when she can't sleep at night, what are you, is she on? Yes. Fairly? What do you do, Fairly? <laughs> You're on mute, I guess. <clears throat> well, Fairly sings hymns. <laughs> and it's it's good counsel. You know, there's a, a verse in the Bible about songs in the night. Songs in the night. So instead of thinking of the night as some awful time, think of it as a time of God's songs coming to you, uplifting you. Mrs. Eddy writes about this in Science and Health and in Prose Works. She also says as she grew spiritually, there was certain, you know, certain music she, she couldn't like. And of course, you probably know what music that is. There's some music that's discordant. Discordant, yes. But then there's this music of the of the spheres, this heavenly music, the um, Handel's Messiah. 
Parthens wrote about that too, how that he wrote that in just a matter of days. No, in other words, no person could have written that beautiful music. And it was the music of of the Bible set, yeah, set to gorgeous organ music, voices. Um, and he didn't feel like he could charge for it because it came through him? Yes, it came through him. Thank right. you. He, he knew he didn't write it. Yes. So... And we've known, too, these stories when people have been in trouble, when there have been storms, and they get together and sing. They, they face error with song. It's a, it's a power. And it's also the universal language. I don't know of any place or any country that doesn't sing. You, you give music to a baby, and they start bopping around and <laughs> enjoying it. So it's a power. And then... Um, Anne in England sent me something. She had sent before that article about the army chaplain. I spoke about Janet Horton, who had been pre previously mentioned, remember, when she was in the um, tear gas chamber because she had been praying and in such a great state of of peace her unity with God, she was able to go into a tear gas chamber and be unaffected by it. Well, in that same book, she she said she'd been working in the Pentagon during 9-11 when the plane hit. And in another a, attachment from her book, extract from her book, rather, she says, um, the pilot almost certainly aimed at the wrong part of the building. And a lot of people normally in the section which was hit were not there at that time. The author herself was unexpectedly called away from her own office in that section for a dental appointment elsewhere in the building at that time. Those things are not coincidences. That those are God's power and presence working. Um, she also mentioned the Pearl Harbor incident. We talked about that, I believe, last week, too. It seemed very horrific, and yet it could have been so much worse. And many people actually were saved, preserved, if you will. Um, so this is another reason why we pray before, during, and after whatever we do, including traveling or going anywhere. You need to be at the right place at the right time, don't you? I mean, you don't want to be in the Pentagon building when it's, <laughs> or in that spot. So, and you won't be, you won't be. Remember that wonderful story about the practitioner who was asked, well, what would happen if your daughter got smallpox or something? And what was his answer? Impossible. Thank you. <laughs> Carol remembers that. I love it. Oh, impossible. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't even go there. Impossible. That's not happening. This is our stand, and if we take it, we will find God's protection. Now, <clears throat> I'm very grateful. There were so many of you who sent me. We have a lot about... Oh, sorry. I have to go back to the responsive reading once more before I get into all this other. Okay, and that is the last, the last, 1 Kings 8, 61. Craig, will you read that in the responsive reading, 61? Yes. Let your heart, therefore, be perfect with the Lord our God, to walk in his statutes and to keep his commandments, 
So if you don't have a perfect heart, you can't do either of these. Thank you. And many of you, you were sending me wonderful articles this week, which I'm grateful for. And Carrie always sends me California wonderful articles. She sent a beautiful one called The Proof of Love by Willis Gross, which was the 1903 issue of the journal, which we can use in the Liberator sometime. And he starts out with, because, well, quote, the proof of love is obedience, and he who loves will obey. If you love me, keep my commandments, was a simple yet supreme test to which Jesus would put his disciples. And we are all his disciples, not his converts, his disciples. Faithful obedience to all his commandments would be most convincing proof of their love and loyalty to the one who had done so much for them and for the world, who had made such great sacrifices for sinful and suffering humanity, whose pure and unselfish life had made plain the way of salvation. His teachings pointed the way to the spiritual consciousness of God and man. This was his true being, and if they loved him, they would strive to live the pure and unselfish life that he lived and to bless the world as he had blessed it. Their earnestness would be in proportion to their love. If they love little, they would strive little, but if they loved much, they would strive much. Now this goes along with the story of Job in the last few sentences, right? Right? What, what, this And the, this verse is one that seems to get missed in a lot of um, commentaries. So when was... When and how was Job relieved of his problems? When he prayed for his his friends. When he prayed for his friends. This is a basic tenet in Christian science. You can't get around it. We're not here to make our own lives pleasant. I mean, this this article brought tears to me. We know when the, the last words that Jesus said to us, to his... Peter was what, Craig? I'm not sure if I'm right on this oh, one. Feed, Father, oh, oh, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. If you've even had one healing in science and you go off your merry way and just live your happy little life, you have not you you have nothing in common with the Christ. You're not following in his footsteps. This this is part of being who and what we are as a Christian scientist, and yet it has been so lost. It was lost to me till I came here. It was all about figuring out my own problems and getting my own problems solved. But you you see, if everyone was doing this, and we'll know that everyone is, think of how we would revolutionize the world, right? If you really love Mrs. Eddy, if you love um, Christ Jesus, you will obey his commandments. Sermon on the Mount. Love your neighbor as yourself. Feed my sheep. Oh, there's You can make a book of it. And if you're not doing that, okay, well, then don't do it. But don't complain that science doesn't heal or you're not getting, you know, whatever. Just, just 
do you know whatever you want to do <laughs> but don't claim something until you're ready to take this up at least to some degree all of us can do it somewhat even if it's just a smile on a person person on the street right craig is always doing that you know when we had this storm we had a storm and snow and it all all the cars were covered in snow outside our church Carrie and I leave church. There is Craig shoveling out one of his neighbors, and he never he didn't talk about it. We would never have known it except he saw it. And all of you have learned to be this way. Uh, Lil was helping me. <laughs> what was that? Lil, Lil came out a little later. Uh, I know. Well, Lil does that too. All of you do. That's what we should be. Goodness me! So proof of love. And yes, and this isn't the do-goody. It's not do-goody. It's it's inspired by God. When God tells you, if you're do-goody, you're just you're still doing it for yourself. You're going to show everybody how great you are, <laughs> and and show that other person how great you are. <laughs> so you're not at the right place at the right time. <laughs> that's right. <clears throat> and then let's see if this was in. There were so many good things. Well, I just wanted to say along those lines, it's been taught to me here that when like say on a Wednesday feels like there's a lot of resistance and feels like things are working for you I know I just start you know praying for everybody and not just keep it to myself or whatever but to actually pray for others and that always busts right through it you bust right through it and that's because if you're having that problem other people are and when you think you have nothing to say or testify about, everybody else feels that way, too. And it doesn't mean you need to testify every week, but every week you should come with something to give. Think of others. You come into church with your faith-lit candle. We were taught you're willing to give. Not You don't come to just sit back and receive. If you're new, yes, but not after you've been here a while. You come to give. <laughs> You got about three weeks. And then we're on your case. <laughs> well, it's proof you're getting it when you when you give in some way. And and only only you know what way. And only God can tell you. And we can't tell you. You you have to feel inspired by God and it will come to you as how to give. And also, uh, Carrie wrote, and this is about Job, too, when I was reading, this is in the forum, when I was reading the story of Job in our lesson this week and came upon the last chapter 42, I realized that the power of prayer demonstrated by Job was the same power of prayer, quote, that's an article, I guess, written by Gilbert Carpenter Sr. in his article on the same topic, where Mr. Carpenter said, quote, I let my thought go out to all who needed God realizing that God is all presence, all power, and love. When I returned from this mental journey, I found myself well. Through this prayer, I restored my thought to being a channel for good and eliminated the ill effects which were evidence of an interned thought, end quote. This is exactly what happened to Job, and the Lord turned the captivi captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. And also, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. I'm studying you. 
Oh, hold on one second. Yeah, we gotta put you off. On speaker. On speaker, yeah, we need. Okay, I think you're. Okay. Uh, Turn your off. Yes, Sarah, yes. Yep. We're starting at the end of the story, but um, anyway, <laughs> just because it, it fell into this, it, it also goes with um, number five in Science and Health. Um, Carol, you can read the first paragraph and the last paragraph of that. We should forget our bodies in remembering good and the human race. Good, de good demands of man every hour in which to work out the problem of being. Consecration to good does not lessen man's dependence on God, but heightens it. Neither does consecration diminish man's obligations to God, but shows the paramount necessity of meeting them. Christian science takes naught from the perfection of God, but it ascribes to him the entire glory. By putting off the old man with his deeds, mortals put on immortality. Job said, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Mortals will echo Job's thought when the supposed pain and pleasure of matter cease to predominate. They will then drop the false estimate of life and happiness, of joy and sorrow and attain the bliss of loving unselfishly, working patiently, and conquering all that is unlike God. Thank you. See those two contrasts. This is the story of Job. He had the false estimate of life and happiness. He did. I mean, everyone says, oh, he was perfect. He was perfect. God said he was perfect. Well, as we have talked about, to some degree, he was in those days. He, he led what seemed like a good life, but there was a lot more to learn. There was a false estimate of it, life and happiness, joy and sorrow. And he had to attain that bliss of living unselfishly, patiently, as, as uh, Lawrence so beautifully read on Wednesday, conquering all that is unlike God, God good, this is, this is what our motive in life should be, not the other, not to just amuse ourselves or try to make money. And then I, I was going to read this, too. This was also from the article, The Proof of Love by Willis Gross. The love, the earnestness, the watchfulness, and the unceasing labor that ensures success in worldly affairs makes the successful Christian. And then Jesus said... The children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. The children of this world love to succeed. They are prompted by different motives, motives that are often exceedingly selfish. But they have a definite end in view and they strive to attain it. No sacrifice is too great and no, no labor too arduous for the man who is thoroughly in earnest and determined to succeed. 
seemingly insurmountable obstacles only intensify his desire and increase his determination. So we, we see this in the world, don't we? I mean, sometimes it's amazing how people can fight to the top, right? All that energy to get the money or get the promotion or whew. And yet, do we even see a little bit of that in our Christian life? That deep, deep learning, yearning and desire to grow Godward? Well, we darn well better. And that's what this is saying. Why are the children of the world there? And they do seem to succeed like the, what is it? The great bay tree or something? You know, they yes. do well for a while because yes. they put so much determination to it, usually willful and all that. So let's all just have a little bit of that in us to want to succeed. And this is Eddie says that in science and health, we need to have that put it first in our desires, our wants, and we will. We will grow, and we'll have all all things shall be added unto us as we do this. So, go ahead. The opposite. All their work, like I think Paul says, is in vain, because eventually it all crumbles. <laughs> but if we do with God, it will never crumble. That's exactly right. It'll never crumble. And I, I think the, the false view of Christianity is that you just need to believe and there's no work involved. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then... We have Christian Science where there's plenty of work, plenty of employment. Well, thank you. <laughs> thank you very much. That's very, very true. Well, and that's because belief is not sufficient. Belief has to become understanding before we under before we are able to meet God's obligations. <clears throat> because what are what are we obligated to? to when we are obligated to God. We're obligated to the truth. Whatever is true, it's our obligation to uphold it. Whatever is life, it's our obligation to uphold life. Love. Whatever is love, divine love, it's our obligation to love. Not humanly, but divinely. Principle. The law. Divine law. Whatever divine law is, it's our obligation to uphold it. This is our obligation to God. And it's nothing otherworldly. It's nothing weird. It's basic, fundamental, and it's more fundamental than human law or human ambition. Yes, thank you. And belief only keeps us swinging here a little, there a little. Yeah, that, and it's as, and that's and that's as far as you can go with human beliefs or human laws, so-called, or human ambition. You can't get any farther than belief because there's nothing about it to understand. <laughs> It'll never lead you to God. It'll never lead you to permanent happiness. Gary tried it. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, you know, we've all tried it. We all have friends who are trying it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. What, what did you say, Ron, about the perfect? Uh, I was not a Boy Scout, but I came prepared. <laughs> <laughs> Don't start. Uh, well done, it's right. It was... Uh, 
quote from Job in this week's lesson, though I were perfect, yet would I not know my soul, I would despise my life. Um, this is what came to me from that. How easy it is to fall prey to a misguided sense of perfection. How many times have I constructed ways to attain that perfection within the mortal experience, the perfect marriage, the perfect work, the perfect spiritual discipline, despite the deceptive nature and futility of such pursuits. While perfection remains ever the goal before me, like Job, I may know less of my soul if I pursue the counterfeit or tout what I have accomplished as proof of my own spiritual growth. Thank you. Very good. Yeah, uh, and that's this achieving in a material way for perfection. You know, you know there, there is none. There, there is no spiritual perfection. No, there's it's zero. These dear children trying to make straight A's and do everything, and they end up burning out. It's awful. It happens to adults. You can't do it. You only perfection only comes by your oneness with the Father, just like a beautiful flower unfolds in perfection. It's no strain or stress. It's just who and what you are when you get self out of the way and let God use you. And look, the perfection is various beautiful ways everybody's different in their perfection no one beauty is less beautiful than the other it's all beautiful that when god is behind it when you see his creation it certainly is true it's beautiful it's only when man gets in there and bollocks everything up. <laughs> and then and then ray you know she gave all those no, sorry not ray louise gave all those um definitions of that verse, Mark the perfect man and behold the upright, and ended up with the original meaning of the main words can thus become watch, guard, preserve, and watch, guard, preserve the complete, whole, undefiled man. See this fact about man with mind. Become fully aware of doing that which is pleasing to God, for the end of that man is health and a sense of well being. So, so that's beautiful when we are seeking the right sense of perfection and letting it, only God is perfect. And yes, as Ron was reading, you lose your soul you, when you pursue all the, the wrong sense of perfection. And, and Job knew that. You know, good for Job. Job struggled. He had a false sense of theology. He had a false sense of God, which most of us do when we start out. And But somewhere inside him, one of the commentaries I think Carrie sent me to, said he knew that somehow understanding God related to his health. I think that's wonderful. <laughs> Anybody who's struggling with health, it's related to your understanding of God. When you understand God, your health will be perfect <laughs> just as we talked about your perfection will be made known and it has nothing to do with matter or changing matter or working on matter or any of that it's your understanding of god and then the false beliefs about your body all those false beliefs fall away and your your true sense arises but and Job somehow knew that he he struggled. He said somehow, uh, you know, I'm not. He didn't turn to medicine. He said I'm going to get this somehow. And then he had those 
horrible friends <laughs> who um, had opinions. Had opinions, yes. And I, I loved. I guess that was Ray. If I can find hers, but she, she had you know all these friends. They were called. She, she referred to a an article by Herbert. Is it Ricky? Herbert Ricky. Ricky. Yes. Thank you. But anyway. I'll let you read it since I can't pronounce any of those words. <laughs> but Job, what, yeah. read this Job yeah. quote. Um, this is yeah. Go ahead. From from Herbert Ricci quote: mm-hmm. Job went into the Christian Science practice in earnest, and he started on three of the toughest cases: Eliphaz, who some feel symbolizes the philosophical college professor, <laughs> Bildad or should I say Reverend Bildad, the famous preacher, Dr. Zophar, the eminent physician and psychiatrist. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's it's a great way to look at it. I don't have that article to probably get it, but it sounded good. And um, yes, so he, he went to work to figure all of this out. He kept at it. And he, those are all the false suggestions of those, you know, the, the college professor, the preacher, the physician, all their arguments, everything they're going to tell you to get you all discouraged. He, he went past that. And then Elihu, which represents the Christ and told what God truly is. And that's when he started to make progress, right? That, be still and know that I am God. Just be quiet and, and see what I do. Look at what I've done. And I think that's why Mrs. Eddy has a chapter in our textbook called Science, Theology, and Medicine. Yes, yes, yes. and the leaven of truth working in, in each one of those. So, that article is very, it's, it's something uh, very inspiring. I read it quite a long time ago, but it really shows how um, Job's story relates to our story. It's just amazing. And how Elihu, he calls him the right practitioner, comes and wakes Job out of his dream of those moral sense of things. Thank you. Beautifully done. Mm -hmm. Yes. We also had one. It was one Reg Carey gave us on Job by William Duncan Duncan Kilpatrick. I don't know if we have it on. uh, Should have it online. Joe sent it to me. I I do remember it. But... um, in that, it brings out how all, all of Job's misfortunes were self-inflicted. He didn't know it, of course, at the time, nor do we. Um, but he, he goes on to say, we find the arguments of the carnal mind which present themselves to us in a thousand different ways. And as long as Job was willing to argue with these thoughts of animal magnetism, just so long was he troubled. But just as soon as he threw off these arguments of the carnal mind, just as soon as he was willing to listen to no one but God and stop arguing pro and con, he came into his own. And so it is with each and every one of us. Right? Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. The lesson that Eve Eve had to learn. (laughs) You don't have a conversation with with the serpent yeah so this chapter and in this article it says to read it a lot read it often read this uh, not chapter book on Job it has so many lessons in it 
it'll be so helpful to you. And um, so, yes, it, we could go on for hours about it, <laughs> but, but we won't. The bell has rung, and there was a lot of other things I wanted to talk about. So Gary is going to end. This is something from Carpenter, and it was, again, something Carrie found us. Um, when Mrs. Eddy permitted certain of her students to be honored, she may have been an instrument in God's hands for testing them, since each advancing pilgrim must be tested by both praise and blame, and be unmoved by either, before he can be said to be up to God's standard. Thus, when misunderstanding or approval on the part of man comes to us, we should impersonalize them and recognize these experiences as part of God's test. And of the two, the test of approval and aggrandizement is the more difficult and dangerous, since it is not easy to perceive the subtlety and worthlessness of the praise of men. The last picture in Christ and Christmas shows a dark cross and an illuminated one, festooned with birds and flowers. Evidently, both lie in our path on the road to the crown. And the pleasant cross is as much a test as a temptation as, and a temptation as the dark one. Furthermore, the agreeable cross is the more difficult temptation of the two, since one is apt to forget that it is a cross in admiring the beauty of the birds and flowers. Perhaps as the Bible indicates, Job meant the temptation of the dark cross and then failed when it came to the harmonious one. He may have considered that all his treasures in matter were rewards for work well done, so he had the right to stop in his journey in order to enjoy them. Yet mortal belief is hell, Matter is our punishment for having turned away from God. We must bear the cross until we return to the Father's house. Hence, the illumination of the cross that comes to us as a test should never cause us to forget that it is a cross. And the demand of God is to progress out of materiality, whether it appears to be dark or light. Had Job continued to progress under human harmony, he would not have had to lose it. When man is in jail, he is being punished. Hence, no misguided sympathy should ever lead people to fit up his cell with so much that it is agreeable and comfortable that he forgets that he is being punished and wants to remain. <laughs> Many lessons from Job. <laughs> so, thank you all so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.